Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. I see things a little differently. I am the Slow Chemical. This is your Monday show, and as we've been doing things slightly different this month, um, just because I've been listening to the Guy Nitro book, uh, Guy Evans Nitro book. Uh, we have that segment called "What If" that's really got some uh, some momentum going. You guys really like it, and so today's episode, we're gonna mix in some of my notes and thoughts that I have. I think I think I still have like four hours left to listen of the Guy Evans Nitro book. I really do recommend you guys, if you have Amazon Prime, you get, if you use the Audible trial, you get two free books. They don't take them back. You know, I have, I've, I think I've gotten five free books from <laughs> so many Audible trials that I've had that um, I've yet to pay for one. Um, and, but this one was worth it. And honestly, it's funny because I never thought of this book until I was listening. I think I was listening to Salamonster Sounds Off and he mentioned it as far as like um the numbers and this guy he he has so much the notes i have don't even talk about what he what the, the amount of information he has so uh, we're gonna get right into it so please follow me like subscribe um um check me out at instagram at i am the slow chemical or i am slow chemical um and just yeah let's get into it so guy evans um i don't know the history and how he got this I, maybe i should have done research on this uh, maybe when i come back to revisit it and, and tell you about the last four hours i'll do the history of like maybe how he got into it i need to probably find out all that stuff first though um but yeah so essentially this guy did a book about essentially the rise and fall of WCW Nitro. And the way he does it is he tells it from a number of different perspectives. This guy has gotten, from what I can tell, Kevin Sullivan, Eric Bischoff, Harvey Schiller, Diamond Dallas Page, Kevin Nash. Um, he has people from Pepsi, like uh, VPs in Pepsi when they were... Um, doing endorsement deals with uh, WWE. Um, he's gotten so many people's... As a writer, you obviously want to map out where you want to tell the story and where you want to go, right? And the one thing he he does, even if, it, if it's just mentioning something for one particular chapter and maybe takes 30 seconds to explain it, he is so good at filling in the blanks. He fills in the blanks of why this why wcw made this move at this time according to the people that he spoke to and why wwe did this their thing and i feel like he doesn't leave it he there's no swiss cheese here there's no holes in this <laughs> you know and some of the stuff i heard i was like damn they just gave away all the you know how bruce pritchard or something to wrestle with when it was in his heyday and now it's, I have not listened to it since he went back to WWE because I, I, I know it's like a shelf what it is. I know a lot of people have been like, they still listen to it because they like him. But 
remember one thing he wouldn't talk about his numbers and look the, the numbers are never our business as far as like people's personal numbers go jim corner has no problem saying people's numbers but uh bruce pritchard does and more than fair let's get that out the way um but it's one of those situations where the best way I can put it is I think we all can agree Eric Bischoff's full of crap in this you have so many different VPs or people who worked in production or people who worked in the graphic designs giving their take. Eric Bischoff still pushes back. Eric Bischoff will never take credit or excuse me, never take blame for maybe his part in the demise of WCW. And I think that's probably where a lot of his frustration comes from is he doesn't want to be blamed for that. Um, or he's just in denial. Or I don't know what it is. Like, Look here, what he did was nothing short of miraculous. Like just, we've never actually done a um, a profile of Eric Bischoff on this show, right? And I've never been asked to, but I think it's appropriate. I'm actually just doing this off the cuff now. It's just down my notes. I'm much well. Look here, you guys don't care how long ago, so I'm not gonna, gonna give that disclaimer. So essentially, um, Eric Bischoff, he and Guy Evans talks about his history in this in this book as well. But I remember uh, I watched some documentary where it kind of touched on pieces, but this, once again, filled in the blanks. No Swiss cheese. It's American cheese. And so essentially, Eric Bischoff uh, was a former model, and he turned to a salesman. And at the time, he was about to go bankrupt. And so one day, he's watching TV, and he sees AWA on his television. So he reaches out to Vern Gagne. And he becomes a commentator for Vern Gagne. Well, an opportunity in the WWE comes up, WWF at the time, and so he interviews with Vince McMahon. So this there's actually video footage of this, actually, and Eric Bischoff is handed a mop, and Vince McMahon says, sell me that mop. And Eric Bischoff makes a joke, and this is I've seen this video before. And he says, hey, this is your way of telling me this is over? He's like, no, no, not at all, not at all. Just tell me about the mop, or the broom, whatever it was. And he did not get the job, so he 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 held some um, he held some animus towards Vincent Man for not hiring him, which is ironic because this is the same dude that fired people gleefully and got joy out of it. The man fired Sean Waltman, man fired Steve Austin, man fired Honky Tonk Man. He's always talked shit about, it, but yet you don't get hired and you don't hire people, and yet it's it's not it's not funny when it's on the other shoe, now is it? I I, I don't get it. Um, anyways. So, um, he gets a job, then he ends up uh, getting a job as a commentator for WCW. He's just a commentator. That's all he is. And so, at the time, there was these revolving door of bookers. And you had uh, Ole Anderson, you had Dusty Rhodes, you had um, Bill Watts. Now, I'm going to focus on those three. So, he kept hiring, because WCW... At no given time, at any given time, at no given time, I know it's not proper English, but follow me on this journey. At no given time did TBS or TNT want them. The only person that wanted them on the air was Ted Turner. And Ted Turner was a huge fan of wrestling. And so no one knew how to manage them. So they kept hiring wrestlers or 
or wrestling people, I'm doing air quotes there, because you're doing air quotes, to where they're like, um, I, I, I guess, um, they, they didn't, they, it wasn't in their, their portfolio, as Hulk Hogan has put it, right? And they say it, and these WCW executives in his book say that. So essentially what happens is, Dusty Rhodes has the book. No, excuse me, Ole Anderson has the book. Ole Anderson um, was not fitting. He was not fitting in with the suits. He was not giving the, um, the corporate people what they wanted. They sent him away. They brought back Dusty Rhodes and said, hey, run this company the way you want to and help us make WCW better. So Dusty Rhodes came in and he, he got tired dealing with the corporate side of things. He just wasn't... You're talking about wrestling people that know how to deal with the wrestling people and the territory is not corporations, not people who don't know about anything but have a say in what the product should be. Right? And so Dusty Rhodes... Then, then they brought in Bill Watts. And Bill Watts was the one trying to um, find people, which he couldn't do at the time and that, as because this, in this new era... These wrestlers had agents, and these wrestlers had no cut contracts. You couldn't find them. There was no longer he. He didn't own the air quotes territory, and so he legitimately just didn't fit in. And like he also made up rules like you couldn't jump off the top rope or throw anyone over the top rope as a disqualification. And um, if you actually watch a lot of those old WCW times wrestling matches, um, right before Eric Bischoff era. There will be, be a lot of matches where where it will end, and you'll be like, well, yo, why did it? What, 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 yo, why did it end? Oh, he threw him over the top row. and that was that was a rule. You know, it was it was it was very much a thing. Um, Bill Watts has said that he didn't kill the business. He was trying to make it to where you had to be sneakier and to get away with stuff. Um, I will say this: there it wasn't. Obviously, nothing. It didn't kill that business. But there's this one match, and I, I think I, I use this as an analogy sometimes with people. It was Juice and Thunder Liger versus Brian Pillman. They did some stuff working around those stipulations at that time. That actually it was a good match. But see, I think to change all those rules for or change that particular rule, I think it's. Everyone has to be on board. And everyone was not on board. Anyways, finally, Bill Watts implodes and tells them the corporate people where to go. Which wasn't, you know, to the local Circle K. So I'm sure they didn't like that. So, um, finally they said, you know what? No more wrestling guys will run this company. We're going to bring in a corporate person to help us run this company. Since Ted Turner wants it around, it's around. We have no say in this. So... Eric Bischoff just threw his name in there. And he was, once again, just a commentator. They didn't know the history of Eric Bischoff. They didn't know he was a commentator for Vern Gagne and AEW. They didn't know. They didn't do their research. He was just a good salesman. Great salesman, actually. And so they hired him to everyone's surprise. And so the era of Eric Bischoff began. And so now, as Eric Bischoff's trying to get some things in place... He, he, Eric Bischoff's ultimate goal is to put Vince Man out of business. So he's trying to figure out the plans he needs in order to do that. So one day, Hulk Hogan had retired from wrestling. Um, he did. At that moment, he had retired from that particular time in wrestling. The steroid case just threw everyone 
into shambles and he was filming Thunder in Paradise. And Ric Flair, uh, Eric Bischoff asks Ric Flair to introduce him to Hulk Hogan. I'm sure Ric Flair regrets that to this day. And they all, Ric Flair, Eric Bischoff go to the, the movie set, Thunder in Paradise, or show, Thunder in Paradise. And they have conversation. And Eric Bischoff asks Hulk Hogan, hey, what would it take to get you to be in WCW? So Hogan told him his numbers. And Hogan's money wasn't just a one big contract as far as like one big dollar sum. It had pay-per-view buys. It had attendance. Like his numbers was like, think about... This is my, for my football fans, so I apologize if you don't know football. Imagine you being a quarterback, making $240 million guaranteed. But if you throw 40 touchdowns in the season, make the playoffs, make the AFC championship game, make the Super Bowl, now you get $10 more million per incentive. So it was a lot of incentive-based stuff on top of the huge salary. So he's making you know, $2 million a year, $3 million a year, Plus all the incentives that will then boost up to probably, I think, like $10 million a year. And so Eric Bischoff was like, I can do that. But then Hogan had one last thing. And he said, the money, I know you could do the money because you have Ted Turner's money. The one thing, the one thing that is a deal breaker, and this is it. This is the way you give me a sign. I want creative control in my contract. Over everything that has something to do with me. This was the deal breaker. I never knew that was a deal breaker. I thought that was something that, honestly, for all these years, I, I actually thought that was something that Eric Bischoff just threw in there as a plus. I did not know that was the deal breaker and that was Hogan's thing, but actually it makes sense. If you, if you look at the falling outs, air quotes, that, uh, Bish, that uh, Hogan has had with Vince, it's been over payoffs. It's been over creative control over certain things. Like, listen, the thing about this. So Hogan had agreed to lose to Brock Lesnar in 2002. He lost to Hogan via bear hug. Well, Hogan, the reason, I, the reason why he had a falling out with um, Vince McMahon is because he wanted to come back at Survivor Series and get his win back and win the WWE Championship from Brock Lesnar. That's where they had the falling out, and, and, and he, he felt that... Uh, Vince was trying to kill his character off. Like, there's no killing Hulk Hogan off, dude. Not even a racial rant can kill him off. Uh, didn't kill him off fully. He still has his fans. Um, but that was key to signing. And Hogan told Bischoff that. And Hogan got what he wanted. So now we fast forward. And Ted Turner, Eric Bischoff, and another gentleman are in the room. Another executive. I can't remember the guy's name. Bill Bush, I think. And... 10 seconds into Eric Bischoff's, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Into his presentation to Ted Turner about the new vision of WCW. Ted Turner says, ah, Eric, tell me what I need to do to compete with Vince McMahon and the WWF. Bischoff says, give me two hours primetime Monday nights to go head to head with them. Hey, Bill. Two hours, WCW, Monday Nitro. Now, you got to remember, at this time, and I am I was still very, very young at this time, but I do remember at this time, TBS and TNT were strictly, um, 
like you guys know how TBS now, I think TNT too, they they have reruns of The Big Bang Theory and Seinfeld and Friends and and I think they even play some of the Marvel movies. That's how they were back then. Except they would only get movies to come in, like Turner Classic movies and stuff like that. They they would pay for rights to movies. There was no original content. There was nothing there but just those movies. And so they did have WCW Saturday Night, which was from 6.15 to 7.15. I don't know why the word time. I've, I've never understood that time frame, why it was so weird, but it was it was a staple. And it, what was important was, was that that WCW show led into a movie. And it always did good numbers, did great numbers, uh, leading into that Saturday Night movie. Because Saturday Nights used to be a thing. I don't, I don't have cable. So I don't know if HBO. I'm, I'm imagining. I would. I, I would imagine HBO still does. Still does it, but HBO. Um, they Saturday nights was a big thing. They would premiere a, mo- a new movie. So if you didn't go to the theater to see Lethal Weapon, um, they would premiere it six, seven months later, and it was a big deal, right? You, if you didn't have the money to go to the movie, but you had cable, you could now watch it on HBO, and they would replay it for like three months straight. Then it would just go into the mix like everything else, and then eventually go away if it wasn't too popular. And this was a, just it was just a big deal, you know. Uh, so Saturday nights would used to be a big deal. Yeah, I'm sure people always went out on Saturday nights, but you also had a reason to stay home. That's why, for as much trash as you can talk about Collision being on on Saturday nights, Saturday nights used to be a big deal. It used to mean something. So, anyways, um, now Ted, now now uh, excuse me, now um. Eric Bischoff has two hours prime time. What do you do with it? So Eric Bischoff, once again, he has to, he, he's a pretty smart guy. That's why, and maybe it's his ego. I think at this point, it's probably just ego that he actually lost because he did lose. You know, even though in the end he ended up coming back and uh, having a great run as the Raw general manager for like I think three or four years, um, his legacy is always going to be that. They took Vince McMahon to the fucking limit. WCW was always behind the ball. As as it's like when Bischoff, when you hear Bischoff make excuses about, well, we didn't have this, we didn't have that. Well, how could it? They, they rushed into everything so fast. It's like the DCEU. Oh, we, we have to build a universe. Nah, I don't want to do that. Can we just um, yeah, Batman v Superman, right there. Hit the button. Word. They didn't understand. They didn't study WWE. They didn't want to. They wanted to be completely different, which is cool. But think about this. I think I said this a few weeks ago on the show too. Hacksaw Jim Duggan has said he's made seven in the in the 80s. He had made seven figures alone off of his action figures. Those L- think about this now to collectors, you collectors out there. We have all this articulation, and we can't do it if the if the scan isn't right, and this character don't look right, and blah blah blah. Back then, they had these LGN figures. You couldn't do anything with them. They're just posable. That was fucking it. And so, like, that's all it is, right? So, it's one of those things where it's just like, think, just think about that. Think about how crazy that is, right? So, they didn't have marketing department. I mean, they, they, they were building a marketing department. They have a merchandising department. They didn't have anything. It was just the only thing he could offer him was guaranteed contracts. But now if you have people and you're luring them away from WWE, they're, they're used to getting a certain type of money, especially when it comes to merchandise and stuff like that. So he, these things weren't thought about because they just jumped right into it. So Lex Luger was not happy with his position in WCW. 
So he had reached out to Sting. Him and Sting are great friends. And Eric Bischoff hates Lex Luger because he's egotistical and blah, blah, blah. So Eric Bischoff, so Sting went to Eric Bischoff and said, hey, Luger's interested. He's not under contract. Or his contract, no, his contract ends and he's just going to jump over. And Eric Bischoff said, no, I'm good. Okay, cool. So they're talking about signing a new contract, Lex Luger and the WWE. And so he says, okay, cool. And so he's, Luger's like, hey, my deal ends. It's a handshake deal. He goes, he goes to Sting and says, hey, before I talk to him about a new deal, I would love to come back. And so Sting went to Bischoff one more time. And Bischoff said, you know what? He had $150,000. He lowballed him. He lowballed him. And Luger said, cool. He didn't want to be in WWE. Once the failed run in 93 happened, was it 92, 93? 93 um, happened. There was nothing else for him there. If you his his hype was over at, in WWE, his hype, and so next thing you know, he makes a surprise return on the very first night show, which was from the Mall of uh, America in Minneapolis, and there's a great story in here where that Luger told Guy Evans at the end of the night because at the end of the night it was Sting and Hogan in the main event, Sting and Flair, then Sting and Hogan, and uh, Luger comes out and Luger surprises everybody. And Luger has a smile on his face. And the show goes off the air. And Hogan looks at Luger and says, take that smile off your face. You're taking food off my family's plate. And Hogan was pissed at him because he was smiling. And Luger was trying to apologize. And Hogan was just not having it, right? I didn't quite understand the frustration. Like, it was, it wasn't, it was, if you look at that moment, right? It was more of a surprise of Luger, but it was, but he was like, he was confronting everybody. He wasn't just confronting Hogan. So it was never meant to be built around Hogan. I mean, around him, him and Hogan having a match. But no, Hogan's a big dog. So that's why Luger was apologizing. I thought that was a very fascinating story to tell. I was like, oh, wow. Oh, well, I didn't know that, you know. But once again, I guess, you no, know, once again, when, you're, when your incentives are ratings, when your incentives are pay-per-view buys, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe that's why you can see it like that. Maybe you can see that's why. Maybe you can see it as you can see that as food being taken off your plate. Maybe so. I don't know. But anyways, then all of a sudden you have Scott Hall, whose contract was coming up, and Eric Bischoff reached out to him. Let me rewind. Scott Hall was talking to the Diamond Dallas Page. He was friends with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall because he had managed them both in their early WCW days. Let's make that clear. And so, and by the way, now this is my, this is the Eric Bischoff profile. Now this is in my notes. So we haven't got to my notes yet. So that, that episode, whatever, is going to be put off till next week. Uh, uh, we're going to focus on this one because I'm already going. I, I don't, how long have I gone here? All right, we're already 22 minutes in. <laughs> All right. So we're just going to focus on this one for this, this week. Okay, guys. So Scott Hall's just talking to DDP. And he's like, yeah, my contract's coming up. And Vince says he can't give me a raise. And, um, I, I, I think I need to look prior towards going to New Japan. And so DDP said, hey, bro, like, we're, you know, we got Money Nitro going, and maybe I can get you a better contract here with Eric Bischoff. And Scott Hall says, sure, you can ask him. So DDP, and this is definitely, definitely, DDP says it's not contract tampering. It's definitely contract tampering. 100%. I don't care what anyone says. Maybe legalities, you might try to do that, but no. But anyways, um, he goes to Eric Bischoff and he tells him, hey, Scott Hall's available. Okay. 
And so now that's giving Eric Bischoff ideas. So he says, what does he want? So he tells him what he wants. He says, I want Sting money. Sting was the guy making, I think you, I think, I know Shawn Michaels was making $750,000 in WWE. I think Sting money was like $950,000. And so it was between those two numbers, I believe. Scott Hall had a, uh, something in his contract to where if anyone came in and made more, they had to move him up to that salary. So he made, he was making Sting money off rip, and then he had to be matched if someone came in at a higher range. Well, Scott Hall was doing the thing with Gold Dust, and that's we maybe we could do a whole character. We could probably do a character whole character profile on Scott Hall's. But maybe you know what? That gives me an idea. Maybe in the next part, I should have thought about this. Now I'm just like thinking about all these things. Either way, yeah. What I'll do is a, a Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, um, and even the Hulk Hogan profile, and we could go on this. Matter of fact, instead of using here's here's a new plan. <laughs> We're going to. Hmm. How do I want to do this? This is a this is a toughie. We're gonna to do a build up. We're gonna do a build up. So here's the build up. Today we're gonna to, we're gonna talk about the lead up until NWO makes its appearance at Bash at the Beach. Now do a profile. This this is the Eric Bischoff profile. We'll talk about Scott Hall and Kevin Nash in this. Then next week we'll talk about the numbers and how everything began to affect everything at that point. Okay. I've never workshopped this way on the show. I apologize, you guys. I just, the more I'm thinking about, the more details, the better, because they do touch on all these things in the book. And I think just hearing those little mini stories about things, I think helps understand the holes that were plugged by Guy Evans. So Scott Hall signs the contract. So he tells Kevin Nash, hey, you know, you should come. Nash doesn't want to do it. Nash eventually agrees to do it. We talked a little bit about that in the Montreal Screwjob episode that's in the archives. Check it out. So, uh, now he has both of them locked in. Neither one of them signed contracts, but he has their words. Now, what's the next plan? The next plan is to get there to be a takeover, but it needs to be a third person. Eric Bischoff has said he always wanted to be Hulk Hogan. Hogan didn't want to do it. Hogan has said, you've never walked a mile in my red and uh, yellow shoes. You don't understand what this means. So, Hogan didn't want to do it. So, the backup was staying. And Sting didn't want to do it, but he said that he knew he can get Steve Sting to do it. So he was like, I can get him to do it. And he was just like, you know what? It'll be Sting. But he was still trying to convince Hogan this entire time. So that's the Eric Bischoff profile up until that point. Let's go to Scott Hall. 95, Scott Hall had become the first ever four-time Intercontinental Champion in my book, he's one of the greatest intercontinental champions, probably the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. Because for me, growing up, that title was synonymous with him. He made it feel special. He was in that ladder match with Shawn Michaels. He was the one that was clearly, I knew when I was young, this guy, why isn't he fighting for the world title? He never needed to. He was too busy making that title special. Yeah, I get Jericho's made had the title nine times, and he's had some great matches in, in, with that title. Like him that... Um, him and him and Rey Mysterio had a great match where he whereas Rey Mysterio was going for the six one nine, Jericho removes his mask. Um, but to me, Scott Hall made that title feel just super important for me, you know, as a fan. And so 
he has said, hey, I wanted to go to Japan. Vince wouldn't do it. Vince wouldn't move the decimal point over at all. And so now he's putting a few with gold dust. And he's the current Intercontinental Champion. The plan is for him to eventually have a match with gold dust at WrestleMania 12. Well, R- Ramon Scott Hall said there was nothing against Dustin. It was like he didn't feel comfortable wrestling that character. And the character was very... Goldust, if Undertaker is the greatest character ever created by WWE, and John Cena is the greatest superstar by WWE, Goldust, in my opinion, is the second greatest created superstar in WWE. Um, that character was so ahead of his time. Dustin Rhodes played it to perfection. Marlena, Terry Runnels, was fantastic in the role. I remember, remember being super young and being like, I knew what gay people were. I didn't, I didn't, know, I didn't understand the culture of it, but I knew what they were. What they were listening to me i knew that there were gay people out there that sounded super insensitive sorry um i i i, I knew of this other culture and i, I never saw gold as gay i saw it as man this dude is messing with this dude hard like he's just m- mind games right even i knew as a young person because you remember my razor ramon was my tease mo i'm the bad guy no 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 right but this was different and so, he really didn't want to work with Dustin, but that's the feud he was in. So, essentially, we get to the Royal Rumble 96. One, two, three kid, Sean Waltman, had turned heel and gave a heel kick from the top rope on the razor. Dustin pins him to become the new Intercontinental Champion. So, now it leads him off into a feud with one, two, three kid. But that, that feud was only meant to be for one month. And they had a, uh, a, a baby match where one, two, three kid had a diaper on that... Razor Ramon put him in. That was the only time you ever see that match. And trust me, the best, the, the less said about it, the best. So now he's supposed to move on. But now, supposedly, Scott Hall failed a drug test. And he had already put his notice in. So he said, you know what, just leave him home. And it'll, it'll be fine. And from what Jim Cornette has said, Scott Hall still got a WrestleMania payday. And if you look at the WrestleMania poster, which is, which is the only poster they have, it has Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, The Undertaker, and Razor Ramon. He's on the fucking poster. So it's, 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 it's hilarious. I, I, I've always found it to be hilarious. And you know what? You guys know what I just realized as I'm recording this show? I think I have a guest coming on the show tonight. Um, or doing a recording a show. Anyways, um, so Scott Hall put his notes in. He, 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 was, he was last seen during the curtain call. That was his last match was at Madison Square Garden. It wasn't even a televised show. So let's move to Kevin Nash now. And this is the part we touched on in the Montreal Screwdriver episode, which actually is an archive, so we're not going to dig too deep into it. But essentially, Kevin Nash, Diesel at the time, he was feuding with The Undertaker. He did not want to leave, but there was a confrontation or a conversation where Brett wouldn't put him over with a jackknife pop. And we just talked about this in the WF episode a few weeks ago. And that's when Nash said, you know what? I'm in. And so Hall had told him the deal he had where if you make more money than me, they have to raise me up. So I think he asked for Sting money, but he asked for like $100,000 more, which they gave to him, which means they had to raise Scott Hall's money up. And so he gets there, and um, the way it was set up was Hall would do it first. So Hall went through the crowd first, said, hey, you know who I am, right? All Now all this stuff is a part of lore, essentially, right? But that is essentially the genesis of everything. The corporate heads at WCW, or TNT, excuse me, thought Eric Bischoff was a corporate guy. They didn't understand he was a wrestling guy at heart. He worked for Vern, so he knew how the business ran. He just was a very good salesman. And so, you know, now you have this plan in place. 
And now it's like, well, we don't have a third person. So Kevin enter Kevin Sullivan, where Ke- once Hogan agreed to do it, Kevin Sullivan went out of his way to make sure that no one could change Hulk Hogan's mind. So the night before Bash at the Beach, Hogan spent the night at Kevin Sullivan's place. He kept him away from everybody. And I was like, wow, that that but that's how fragile the ego uh, ego is or was or, or is yeah of hulk hogan he literally could not he 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 was he didn't he wanted to do it but he didn't want to like the way he talks about it now was he was for sure but he wasn't even when eric bischoff said he agreed to do it like he he heard about them getting hall and nash he's seen what nash and hall were doing and he said i, I need to be a third guy because he, he see, he's seen what what he was doing he saw the interest he was building he saw like Nash and Hall both said, "Hey, we knew we were going to get paid. What we didn't know is the if the creative was going to be any good." Hall has said, "Oh, the creative. We assumed the creative was going to be crap, but we knew we would be financially taken care of." But we knew that we we were going to be financially financially taken care of. So, um. They both have said that, but it's one of those situations where they didn't know. Well, Hogan saw from afar, because Hogan was off TV at this point. Hogan had not been on television at all. And so all of a sudden, boom. Now he's that person, but he, even after he told Bischoff he was the third person, he was still being indecisive. And Bischoff didn't know what to do. Bischoff couldn't make him do it. He has creative control. So... That's where things got kind of weird. But then finally you have the Bash at the Beach. Hogan comes through. And they, they were talking about Bash at the Beach in the Guy Evans book. And here's where we're going to leave it at for this week, right? Because we actually have a guest. I actually have to get to doing a different show. <laughs> Which I completely forgot about until talking. But he said that um, a lot of production people did not know who it was. No one knew who it was going to be. And when Hogan came out and Hogan hit the leg drop, there was a production assistant that was on the floor. And ring announcer David Penzer looked at her and said, get the fuck out of here. She's like, why? He said, it's about to get ugly. Leave now. You need to leave. It was a young lady. And so she starts running. As soon as she starts running to the back, she turns around and she's getting to the curtain. And she sees all the stuff being thrown into the, tr- into the ring. And she was like, he was, and she told this to Guy Evans in the book. He, he saved me because I was that was my job was to stay right there. But he told me, no, you need to leave right now. So anyways, this is just part one of it. Sorry for like freestyling in the middle of it. But um, we're going to get to part two next week. When we're, then we're going to get into the, the book and just some of the notes I took down that I thought was very interesting. So um, anyways, this is Slow Chemical. I am <laughs> I am Slow Chemical. I see things a little differently and we are out.